destiny. Not the Lego world, but the new creation. But you gotta be honest, doesn't that sound a little strange? I mean, what you saw there and what you heard read from scripture, you know, a city that looks like a cube coming down to earth, lots of numbers, uh, 12,000 stadia, foundations, gates, jewels, uh, names that are hard to pronounce, let alone know what they mean. So what, what's going on here in this, this last two chapters of the Bible, the, the way it sums up the world to come? Well, I have to say, first of all, that when God gave the book of Revelation to the Apostle John, he did it in a way that's unlike any other book in the Bible. He, he filled it with symbols that describe reality, instead of just describing the reality, which was probably impossible to do because it's so great and wonderful and beyond our imagination. So the symbols are all through the book. And I know that some people actually resist the book of Revelation because it's too scary or spooky or unknown. Or maybe some people say, well, you know, there's so many differences of opinion here that I'll just wait. I know it'll all turn out well when Jesus returns. Well, resist that because it's not really that hard. For instance, John uses uh, an illustration like this. He talks about a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. Well, that's a symbol for Satan, the devil. On the other hand, John gives us a picture of the lion of the tribe of Judah or the lamb who was slain. And that's a picture of Jesus. So, not, not all of the symbols are unknowable and strange, but you got to admit it, there's a lot in the book that, that challenges our understanding. So, what we saw in the model that the uh, Stevenson family did so well in building is the symbol. The question is, what is the symbol pointing to by way of reality? And today, in our passage, you know, there's many, many details here. I thought I would just take two of them and let's examine them and let's see how beautiful and wonderful they are because we do know what they mean. Two of them. And the, the first one I'm going to talk about are the names of the city. And the second one I'll talk about is the shape of the city. So if you have your copy of Revelation, take a look at Revelation 21, verses 9 and 10. There are actually two names here as I read it. One is a person, and the other is a place. Verse 9 says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven 
from God. The first one is the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Bride, what's that word conjure up in your imagination? It's not too hard, is it, right? It speaks of someone who's getting excited for her wedding to come, a wedding that includes, no doubt, many weeks and months of, or maybe years, of planning and preparing, and she has picked her very best jewelry and clothing, and she's preparing to spend the rest of her life with the man who is in love with her and she with him. And she's excited to be already in that relationship and looking forward to far more. Bride. That symbol, then, is who we are as Christians. We are the bride of Christ, the bride of the Lamb. This symbol, then, speaks to both women and men who are in a committed and intimate relationship with their groom, Jesus Christ. And he's the one who began that relationship with us by his becoming human and living and dying and rising to reign forever. He's the one who actually, before time began, chose us to know him and in time called us to himself and gave us new hearts that were actually able to love him and know him and get to know him more and more. And being the bride of Christ also says that we, as his people, are in a committed relationship to him, one where we have joy and love and loyalty and where we resist the temptations to other loves. Our intimate and exclusive relationship with a triune God is beautifully pictured by a perfect marriage. Falling so, our ours on earth falls so short of what this marriage is and one day will be forever and ever. Listen to the words of our loving groom who says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. The bride of Christ. All of God's people from all time will be part of this city. They will be the city, the new creation that's why the city itself has a, a personal name, the wife, the bride of the Lamb. Second name is actually, a, again, a, a pair. It says in verse 10, the holy city, Jerusalem. This should ring some bells, right? Because if you know about the Bible and the way it describes in the Old Testament how God came from heaven to earth into a temple, and the temple was built in only one location on planet earth. Think about it. God could have chosen to go down anywhere, but he picked one country and one city and one place in that city that is called the Temple Mount the name of the city, 
Jerusalem. And for a thousand years, there was a building there, built, destroyed, rebuilt, God's temple on earth. And what John says is that someday, when God comes down to earth again at Jesus' return, he goes to his temple. He goes to Jerusalem again. But this time, it's not a city. It's the whole planet. It's the new Jerusalem. That's the name. This symbolic name, do you want to say? It's not a new city, but it is a city because the city is the whole earth, the new heaven and the new earth, as it says in chapter 21 and verse 2. And it's a holy city. This is the description that describes God, his best and most perfect attribute, holy, holy, holy. He's totally set apart from everyone and anything else. He's totally perfect. And now that holy God comes to a holy city filled with holy people, his bride. That's our future. And yet, in a sense, we're already there. You have your passport? Because Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven from which we wait for Jesus to return. You already have your papers. You ought to be getting ready. You know, if you think about that, if you've ever been on a trip where you do have a passport, <laughs> and maybe you're sick, or maybe you're just homesick, and you can't get you can't wait to get back home, that passport is your key to the future. It's part of what your imagination says, oh, I can't wait to sleep in my own bed, to eat my own food, to be in my own house, to be in the place that is my home, not this motel or hotel or tent or wherever you may be. We are pilgrims just passing through this earth. So what's it like for you? What's it been like this week? Have you thought about the future? And I don't mean the future as in, yeah, the post-mask reality, or, or maybe you're just living a week at a time or a day at a time. I'm talking about the ultimate future. Have you been thinking long-term? I could tell that uh, someone was, because this week I uh, literally ran into somebody. Uh, I, w I was uh, coming out of the barber shop, and I saw someone... <laughs> dropping uh, their, their child off to the barber shop, and I said, oh, hi. And through our masks, we recognized each other, and it's a youth worker in our church. And I said, how are you doing? And how are things with you? And, 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 and she's the one who brought up, you know, our youth are really doing well, even during COVID restrictions. The programs are not there. They can't be. But you know what it's forcing our kids to do, she told me? It's forcing them to talk to one another, to pray with one another like they never did before. What's that all about? That's the bride of Christ. That's the new Jerusalem talking. There's something more going on than just surviving the day. And then this week, my wife and I sat down with a 
another young couple, not from this church, but they wanted to present to us what they thought God was calling them to do, which was leave this country and go to a country in Asia, an undisclosed country. They could hardly even say what it was because of its restrictions on Christians there. And they want to become missionaries by being business people there with an existing business, get to know the language, finish the Bible translation, and hopefully begin to start a church in the next 20 years. Now, these guys are in their mid to late 30s. Husband is a carpenter by trade. He's got his own business. The wife is an interior designer. She has her own business. And as we watched their PowerPoint presentation and heard their heart, this is what he said. He said, in Revelation, it describes a time when there will be people from every nation at the throne of the Lamb. And these people have a right to know the name of Jesus. And we're going to go, God willing, we're going to go and tell them about him. And as my wife and I said, well, well thank you for coming and... Uh, we're going to pray about what we can do to support you. I just got to thinking after that, that what drives people right at the beginning of their careers? And they have two little kids, like under the age of, uh, I think, four. What would make them want to uproot, not to move to a different state in America and keep all the lifestyle that we're used to, but to go to a place off the map, so to speak, for the rest of their lives. And then I was reminded of what he said. Because the glimpse of the future is pulling them there. Or it's influencing their present. The future and the present are becoming one. That's what is really more important than just making it through the day. And that's because John gives us the name of the city. It's the bride. It's the new Jerusalem. Now, the second symbol I'd like to unpack a bit is related to the first. And it's the shape of the city. And if you remember from the video, you already know what the shape is, right? Verse 16, I read it again. And it's going to use the word stadia. So let me just say that that's a Roman measurement that's about an eighth of a mile. So when it says 12,000 stadia, if you translate that, it's about, say, 1,400 miles, if you're using miles as your unit of measurement. So here's what it says in verse 16. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it is wide, and he measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, as well as, uh, sorry, as wide and high as it is long. Well, there it is, the three dimensions. It's a cube. Now, that's, again, kind of strange, isn't it? We're used to two-dimensional 
living in that sense, right? But three dimensions? Well, yeah, I guess I could think of a large building that goes not just this way and that way, but up or down. Yeah. But this big and a cube? Like the whole new Jerusalem is a cube. So what does that mean? You take a round <laughs> globe and you start to square it up? <laughs> Now, remember, this is a symbol. So think back, where else in the Bible was there a cube? And the answer is, there's only one other place. It's in the temple called the Holy of Holies. It was a cube. 1 Kings 6.20 says the dimensions were all the same. And this time, it's 12,000. The number 12... 12 tribes, 12 apostles, the number 1,000, completeness, that's a symbolic number of a giant city that's the symbol of the people of God living with God. Yeah. This is not a literal description of a cubic city with, what, elevators? But rather, the symbol is that the city and its people are living in the presence of God. The new holy of holies. And, and more than that, the shape of the city is, is kind of overcome by the look of the city. Did you see in verse 18 what would it look like? It says the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. Now, the link here, if you go back to the Old Testament, the Holy of Holies, the cube, was covered on the inside with gold. The floor, the walls, and the ceiling, they were all gold. Hard to imagine what that would be like, like in a room of mirrors almost. And so, God takes the same material, gold, and says, that's what the whole city is made of. Gold has always been the standard of value. If you go back in history, um, the ancients talk about the value of gold. We still talk about gold and the value of it. Whether you have a gold filling or a gold ring or a necklace or <laughs> jewelry or I brought with me this morning uh, something made of gold inside this box. Um, this box has in it another box and a little note. And inside the box is a gold coin. And uh, in 1915, that's the year of the coin, my great aunt graduated nursing school in Philadelphia and was given this the note says in here, for having the highest grade point average. <laughs> 105 years ago, this, this was an American coin, U.S. coin, and it says $10. It's about a half an ounce of gold. I calculated it. It's now worth about $1,000. <laughs> and it looks probably just as shiny and new as when my Aunt Nellie got it in 1915. Gold 
It hasn't lost its luster. It's in the same box that she got when she graduated, and she kept it all those years. She lived till she was 98. And then she gave it to my mother, and my mother kept it in the box all those years, and then my mother gave it to me, and it's still in the same double boxes here. Why? Because it's valuable. And it's not just a family memory, but there's intrinsic worth to it. That's gold. When you say the name, it means money, wealth. It can mean food or clothing or shelter or a car or the necessities of life or the pleasures of life. And God says, verse 21, the twelve gates were the twelve pearls, and each gate was made of a single pearl, and the great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. God paves the streets of the new Jerusalem with gold. Gold, in God's future, has the same value as asphalt. Everything is gold, down to the most common thing, asphalt? Yep. What does that mean? <laughs> well, that means that the high value that we place on gold now will mean very little in the New Jerusalem. So what does that do? What does that value in the future due to the gold that we hang on to today. You see, whatever we value, whether it's gold or job or house or wealth or family or health or acceptance or technology or beauty or food, pleasures, whatever the gold is that we value we're disappointed when we lose. In the future, it's so tiny. Well, what's the, what's the real value in the New Jerusalem? It's not the asphalt of the streets of gold, but it's the God who loves you. It's the Lamb who died for you. It's the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit who comes to the earth to be with his people forever and ever. That's of unsurpassing worth. That's the highest treasure. My worth is not in what I own. The Gettys have written, if you know that song. Jesus Christ's death has taken the power out of Satan's gold, out of Satan's kingdom, and replaced it with his power, which is sacrificial love. The love of the triune God from all eternity, Father, Son, and Spirit existing, loving each other, overflowing with love, now shares that with his creatures as he banishes evil and sin from the universe. And the Garden of Eden is now fulfilled by the new Jerusalem. Learn to live today 
with not just one eye on the future, but with both eyes on our future, and it will change the way you live today. Our God, we thank you for the glimpse of glory, for the view of the future that reminds us that the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. So may we turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. Thank you that because of him, we are your children, we are your bride, we are your friends now and forever. In the name of our Savior, the Lamb of God, we pray. Amen.